today we're going to finish up James, and we're going to be in chapter 5. If you're wondering what we're going to do with chapter 4, then we're going to post that online Thursday. So uh, I did James 1 and James 2 last week. Bobby did James 3. And so I'll come back, and I've got James 4 I'll record tomorrow, and I'm going to hit, hit James 5 today. One of the things I love about James chapter 5 is that it's in two distinct different sections. The first part of James 5 says, here's the problem, people. And then he takes this hard turn and he says, you're the problem. And then toward the end of that, he says, but here's how you can stop being the problem and you can be the solution. And then all of a sudden, right then, James says, okay, we're going to go in a totally different direction. So in James chapter 5, what we're going to try to accomplish today is first a reminder that James chapter 5 is about activating your faith with this understanding that there are two words inside of James chapter 5 that we have to get, all right? And that is faith and works, all right? The entire book is about how we deal with faith and works. Now, understanding that faith, as, as we've unpacked it here, really relates to active obedience, okay? It's the activity of obeying what God tells us to be and do. Now, you got to get those in the right order, the being and the doing. That God has described for us in James 5 what we're to be and how we're to act and makes an important differentiation by saying faith without our good works is dead, but good works without faith is useless. And it comes together and says this is a hand-in-glove experience, and so to take that we have to recognize that faith equals active obedience. And the key word there is active. Unless we activate that faith, we don't activate our obedience. It's like God has this way in which he desires for us to live. When we activate our life where we live that way, God richly blesses and God uses us for something far greater than we could ever imagine in our own life. So when you think about this, this fifth chapter takes these words and puts them all into perspective. The first one is riches. All right, we're going to talk in a minute. We're going to use terms like wealth and money and treasure, all right? But I want you to remember that in this word, there's one word I'm going to ask you to participate with me on, and that word is anything. Can you say anything? Okay, can you say it louder? All right, so when we speak of riches, treasures, and wealth, I want you to be able to replace that word with anything. Now, not just anything. But anything, now if you don't mind drawing in the, the margin of your Bible or in the, the message side on the notes behind your bulletin, anything, if this is you, let's just give you a little curly hair here, big blue eyes, and some of you look like this today, all right? So uh, some of you are like this, some of you have a beard, all right? So now I'm, I'm, anything is this that stands between you and God, anything. So if it's, if it's your body, then it's, stand, it's standing between you and God, then that's the wealth that you're counting on. If this, is, if this is money, your 401k, your job, your relationships, whatever that is, whatever stands between you and God, this riches, I want you to replace with the word anything. Anything that separates you from fully trusting, fully living, and fully giving and surrendering your life to the presence and the power of God and God alone, that anything James is about to unpack for us what's going to happen in our life because then he introduces perseverance. Now, we know in James that junk's going to happen in our life and we're going to go through difficult times. Most of us 
live in this constant up and down where, okay, things are good, and then we have a crash. And this is, we're just like the people of Israel. And this is why it's so important to activate our faith, that without activating our faith, our entire life is a roller coaster. It's just like, okay, I ran away from God. Okay, I come back to God. I run away from God. I come back from God. And the emotional swings that come with that and the physical swings that come with that and the spiritual part of that is literally robbing us the joy of living in obedience and activating our obedience with Christ. And so he says we're going to deal with perseverance, but then he's going to say we're going to deal with swearing, not cussing, swearing. Because what he's going to remind us is, if you're going to swear on something, you better make sure it's in my name. But if you're not, then you better watch out. And then he's going to talk about praying and restoring. Because most of us, literally, we pray for a meal or we pray for somebody. But he gives us a different way to do that. So when I think about James 5, as we jump into the text, I want to make sure that we can highlight and grab a few thoughts that truly are decision and life-altering thoughts, right? Look here, and if you would, underline rich people. Look here, rich people. You say, Chuck, I am not rich. Okay, I got that. Remember what I said. Replace rich people with what? Anything. We're going to replace rich people with anything. So let's read that again. Say it with me. Look here, you people who replace anything that stands between me and you. Are you with me? All right. So look here, folks who put things between me and and you. Weep and groan with anguish because all of the terrible troubles ahead of you. You say, Chuck, this does not sound fun. This is not good. Well, James, remember at the front end of this, he's saying, we have a problem. We're the problem. We're also in his power, his solution. So don't give up. Don't, 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 don't lose it here yet, all right? Great troubles are ahead of you. Why? Because we put something between us and God, whatever that may be. And, and it doesn't matter what it is. You can even take the work you do in the church and put it between you and God and believe what you do in the church is more important than you growing up in Christ. You may think, but Chuck, this church needs me. Well, of course we do. But as it ever occurred to you, God doesn't need you. He allows us to be a part of his work. He enjoys us wanting to join him in that work. Yes, of course we need you, but listen to me. We don't need you so much that you don't grow up in Christ. Because what I desperately want for you The reason why this little book has been created, the reason James 5 is so important to me is I have gone through this radical change in my life because God has worn me out from the inside. God has grabbed hold of my life and said, Chuck, if you'll just stop worrying about how big this church gets and care just enough that you want to introduce people into a radical change by letting me into their life, I'll take care of everything else. But Chuck, Stop thinking you're in charge. You're not. You're just Chuck. You're just Chuck from Daytona Beach that I let preach here every now and then. And the fact is, Chuck, I'm in charge. And your only job is to point people to me. Your job's not to fix them. Your church, your your job's not to get bigger. Your job isn't to put more people in a program. Your job is to point people to me, period. End of sentence. That's all. And this church, if we ever do anything other then point people to a life-altering, life-changing relationship with Jesus. 
We have missed the mark, and we are not living in Christ. Period. Now you say, well, Chuck, that doesn't sound like the church I grew up in. Lord, I hope not. I don't want it to be the church I grew up in. I, I, I don't want to look at this. Listen to what he says. Your wealth, what do, what do we replace wealth with? Yeah, anything that stands between you and God is rotting away. And your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags. Your gold and silver are corroded. The word corroded means to rust to death. I had a 1964 Ford pickup truck when I was in high school. I paid 800 bucks for it. And on the right-hand side, on the passenger side, rust had gotten a hold of that floorboard where literally, if I didn't put a piece of plywood in it, I could see the road. Now, I thought that was cool. When I dated somebody and put them in there, they did not think that was cool. You know why? Because rust was corroding it to death. It was corroding it to the point that it was going away. I rode through a boat in Amsterdam the other day on a canal tour, and the little canal uh, 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 tour guide, she said, now we're, we're coming into Amsterdam's red light district. And I thought, we do not need cameras, the preacher's here. And you know what I found? There's much to do about nothing. I mean, we rode on through it. But then she said something that totally grabbed my heart. You know what she said? And right here at the end of the red light district is a church. How convenient. Sin all you want and then come to church. But then she said this, but you know, I don't really know anything about that church. Well, you know what I found out about that church? It hasn't had an active service in it in more than 40 years. Listen to me. You know what's happened to that church? It's corroded. It has literally rusted to death. You know why it rusted to death? Because it didn't chase after the things of God. It chased after something that everybody wanted to hear and somebody's man-made rules. And God said, I'm going to write Ichabod over that door and I'm going to let it rust to death. God help us from rusting to death. This is what he's saying. Anything between you and God is going to rust to death. The very wealth. What do we replace wealth with? Anything that stands between us and God that you are counting on will eat away your flesh. Now that just sounds gross. So back in the day when I built houses for a living and uh, I, I, I was finishing some houses, I had a, a small track of land in DeKalb County. I was building small first-time homes. And at that time, you could buy a first-time home for about 80 grand, right? And I could actually make money on it. But I was, I was pouring a driveway trying to meet a closing and my concrete finishers didn't show up, but my concrete did. Well, I know a little bit about finishing concrete, so I took this young guy at work for me, and uh, I sent him up to the hardware store to buy rubber boots, and I said, we got to do it. So we started pouring the concrete. We got it done. It's fine. The problem was I told him, put those boots on before you get in there. He literally took his shoes and his socks off and stepped in and was working in that wet concrete. And I said, you're just stupid. In love, you're just stupid. And you know what happened? I mean, it literally burnt his feet. For the rest of the time I knew him, you could see the line where that concrete had come up on his ankle and his feet, and it, it was literally corroding his skin. Some of us are counting on things that are corroding us. He was counting on the fact that this was going to be no big deal. He was counting on the fact, come on, it's just wet concrete. It's like, it's like mud, but it's not. When you put all that together, it was corroding him. And what, what we find in our lives is that many of us, we're just rusting to death slowly, day after day after day. I'm almost 60 years old. I'm corroding. I feel the corroding. In Europe this past week, I, I, I had a first for me. I was riding bicycles in, in Amsterdam, because that's how you go everywhere in Amsterdam. And I was turning left at the same time a cab decided to turn right. And he hit me. 
and Jen was behind me. I could hear her scream, and she says, I flew through the air five to six feet. Now, let me just stop and say, if my body could fly somewhere in the air five to six feet, glory, hallelujah, <laughs> right? The problem was he hit me so hard that the mirror on the side of the car is where my tail hit, and so by the time I landed, as you can see, I did not land on my face. I did not land on my feet. I landed somewhere in between. Every part of me hurts, right? And I, I'm just going to be honest with you, it was not a proud pastor moment. I mean, I was looking around, thanking the Lord nobody had a camera out because I was going to beat that guy to death <laughs> in love. Jenny literally has got my hat. I got Sugar Hill Church stuff all over me. And, and I'm thinking, I'm going to whip your tail. And Jen's like, Sugar Hill Church. Thank you, Holy Spirit. <laughs> but I'm corroding, aren't you? I mean, don't y'all, I mean, if you've gotten a little older, I mean, stuff is just going away. But you know what else? More rapidly, anything I put between me and God and I count on, it's going away faster and faster. I have never, ever gone to a hospice home to pray with a family who's about to lose a loved one, hear a loved one say, would you, Chuck, please, as my pastor, would you please take care of my 401K? I've never had one person in an ICU room say, oh, Chuck, would you please just talk with my boss? I don't know what they're going to do without me. Chuck, would you, would you please make sure that I get that test in? Chuck, i got to get that degree. Everybody I talk to in that situation is, Chuck, would you pray that my life is in line with God, that he would welcome me in such a way that I know that I'm not rusting away anymore. And listen to me, friend. There's coming a day in my life because I know that I know that I know that Jesus is real, that I've given my life to him, that I've trusted him to forgive me of my sin, that he died for me, that he rose for me, that he's coming again for me. I know that to the degree that, come on, Lord Jesus, let's go. How about you? What's rusting away in your life? Listen to the rest of it. This corroded treasure, what do we put inside a treasure? Anything. This anything that stands between you and God that you've hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. Now, let's just say me and that guy that hits me, we go to court. And, and, and it's me against him. It's pretty clear. You hit me in the bike lane. I'm still wanting to beat your hind end. In love now. And so he pays Samantha and Abby, our youngest daughters, 10000 each to testify against me, but I don't know it. So the attorney, let's say it's Norm. Norm walks up and his dignified attorney voice says, <clears throat> Samantha, do you know this man? Yeah, he's my dad. Would you care to tell us about the events on March 15th in Amsterdam? Yeah, sure. My dad was acting like a crazy man. He was riding that bicycle everywhere. He got out in the middle of the road and said, hit me, hit me, hit me. And you know what? All of us were saying, don't do it, don't do it. But he just wanted to get hit. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you're my daughter. You are testifying against me. How's that going to make you feel? See, watch this. James is painting a picture that says the reason somebody would testify against somebody is that these somebodies can't figure it out. And what he's saying is the relationship between you and anything between you and God, it's going to come back and it's going to testify against you because it has a story to tell about how much more you love it than you love God. 
You say, Chuck, does it get any better? Not yet. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you have cheated of their pay. And you say, wait a minute, Chuck. People that work for me get paid fairly. And by the way, nobody works for me, Chuck, and I'm not paid fairly. But now watch this. What he's saying to you is this. Now, don't, don't, don't lose this. I want you to take a look at this word cheated, and I want to remind you that it is anything as well. Anything doesn't work just one way. It's two ways. So just let me just ask a few questions. Did, have you cheated on your income taxes this year already? Did, ha, have you cheated with that small white lie? Have you cheated when you knew you were underbilled? Have you cheated somebody when you could have paid them and you didn't? And you say, well, Chuck, wait a minute. That's not what he's talking about. That's exactly what he's talking about. He's saying this is another anything. If your actions are such that you put something ahead of me, or if your actions are such that you want to cheat your way through a life where I've said this is the way, the only way, and Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, and there's any other way that you have trying to cheat the system, what's happening is the cries of those have reached the Lord's ears. And you know what the Lord has said? Cheaters never. Yeah. I mean, how many times do we have to learn this? Norm, I can't imagine what you see as you sit on the bench. I would love to have your job for one day. Like, I want a gavel that's so big that when I wrap that sucker, it's like, whoo. I just don't want to be in your court. <laughs> Listen to what it says. You have spent your years on earth, and what do we replace luxury with? Anything. You spent your years chasing everything. Everything but me. You spent your days chasing after everything, more money, a bigger job, a bigger house, a better boat. I've chased after a different woman, a different man. I have done everything, and I've put everything between me and God trying to satisfy my every desire. And then he's not done. I mean, James is like the, the, the heart surgeon here. Now, don't miss this. These words, while James penned them, I believe with every ounce of my being that God, the holy God, inspired these words through James to that pen, and these words are God's words delivered not just for the people at that time, but for us today. And the context of that time says, you have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. And you're saying, no, Chuck, I'm not fat. You might be. Because, see, what, what would happen in the day is they, they would take a calf, and in preparation for a party, they, they would make sure that calf got all fattened up so it would have all the right juices and the flavor. It's like you want to make sure your steak has the right. You get a good New York strip, you want to strip, you want, you want a nice little trim of fat around there, get the grease all in there so when you cut it, you know, the hot butter is running down inside, you know, you maybe get a little of that Oscar sauce on there, and then you take your butter, and even when it's fancy, you dip it in there, you know. And this is what he's talking about, that if we're not careful, everything that we chase after, we're treating like fattening ourselves for a day of slaughter. We don't even know it. We're not just corroding. We're preparing for us to not matter. We're preparing for us to be one meal and done. And James is saying, wait a minute, you have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. And I say, Chuck, where does that come from? Now watch this. Are you ready? Every human I know needs somebody to say, hey, wait a minute, that ain't right. Listen, your pastor needs people that will love him enough to say, Chuck, whoa, that is not right. You need that in your life. 
I'm grateful I have people in my life that, like James, want to go straight to the heart, and they don't stop till they get to the heart issue. Because everything that James is saying about all that we're chasing between us and God is a matter of our heart. What do we put our heart's affection toward? And so James is saying, listen, why do you have to chase after things that don't matter? It's just going to corrode. It's going to take away. And when you do it, you're killing innocent people. He says, Chuck, I can kill anybody. Well, that text literally right here, killed innocent people. It's all about this one thing. Our sin has consequences with the people we love most around us. Well, Chuck, listen, my addiction to pornography is just me and that computer screen. Well, then why don't you invite your spouse to sit there with you? Well, Chuck, listen, that, my, my gambling addiction, it's no big deal. I, I, I got plenty of money. I'm handling this. Then why don't you put your elementary schooler in your lap while you do it? Well, Chuck, listen, me cheating on my spouse, listen, it's, I'm not hurting anybody. Nobody's going to know. I, I, I got plenty of people who have shown up in my office, and I can tell you they're hurt. They're wounded. They're broken. And you know what? The same thing happens in the church. We got folks where I've done something or somebody else has done something or you've done something and we've offended people and we've killed people innocently. But the only way around it is that somebody might love us to resist us enough to say, wait a minute, that's not good. Everybody needs that in our life. James is saying to us, listen, whatever you do, make sure you understand this. Faith is never easy. The will of God is not like running water. It doesn't follow the path of least resistance. It's going to splat you up against a boulder. Every now and then, we've got to look back and say, our gold and silver, they're corroding. We've got to recognize this corroded treasure that I have spent my life trying to have. A bigger job, more fame, more followers, more likes. All of that is going to lead to a day of judgment. Who is the judge? Watch this. Who is the judge? Anybody? The judge is the Lord God, which is a good time to remind us, I'm not your judge, and you're not mine. But we ought to love each other enough to point us in the direction of the one judge that does exist. You see, if we'll let God do the judging, we can do the loving. If we'll let Jesus do the forgiving, we can do the serving. If we'll let the Holy Spirit do the convicting, we can do and be a part of the healing. But we've got to allow God to do what only God can do and get out of the way. The very wealth that we're counting on will eat our flesh like fire. Listen, God's words through James says, whatever you do, don't, don't miss this. Whatever you're chasing is going to count for nothing because this corroded treasure you have hoarded, it's going to testify against you. When you don't think it and you're standing on judgment for your life, it's going to come around and say, yep, they love me more than you, God. Yep, they wanted that boat more than they wanted me, God. Yep, they, they wanted that house more than they wanted me, God. And we can hear the cries because we're, there's no way to cheat your way into a relationship with God. There's only one way to God, and that is through Jesus, his son. You see, God the Father said, all of this is corroding and going to nothing. And I love you so much, I'm going to send my son to die for you so that you might have forgiveness and you don't have to corrode and you can have life forever. And then when Jesus goes to prepare a home for you, I'm going to leave you my Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit's going to go to work within you. I've been Southern Baptist my whole life. I, I, I was born Southern Baptist. I was raised Southern Baptist. I'm probably going to die Southern Baptist, but let me tell you something. The fear of letting the Holy Spirit loose and doing something that only the Holy Spirit can go, shame on us. That is sinful, and that is wicked that we wouldn't trust the Spirit of God to do what only the Spirit of God can do. 
And as for me, I, I want to trust God. I want to believe God. You know why? I've seen God do these things. I've seen God change hearts. I've seen God change lives. I've seen God change miracles. I've seen God show up in marriages that I never imagined. But we're condemned to kill innocent people when we stay in our sin. And James is saying, but wait a minute. There, there may be a better way. There might be another way. He says, listen, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Okay, I don't know about you, but patience is just not my thing. I mean, I'm just, I'm just not patient. I want stuff right now. And, you know, I learned that when you're in Europe, people function on European time. You know, we Americans, we, we run at a little different pace. Can I just stop and say we might ought to slow down, Tad? I mean, their thought of stopping for tea is not a bad idea. I mean, it's pretty pricey, but it's not a bad idea. <laughs> he says, be patient as you wait for the Lord, but here's why. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look, look what? For the valuable harvest to ripen. Listen, here's what he's saying. He's speaking to farmers at the time, and he's speaking to us at this time, saying, if you'll wait on the Lord, he will do everything that you need him to do. Let him complete his work. Trust God to complete his work. But Chuck, I want it right now. Listen, God doesn't fit into my watch any more than he fits into yours. God doesn't give a hoot about time. He cares about his timing. And his timing is going to be complete in your life when he determines it's going to be. And it is deliberate on when you choose to activate your obedience and trust him with all you have. Well, Chuck, does it take both? You betcha. Because he's not going to make you love him. He is going to serve you to the degree that you can't wait to love him. Listen to what he says. They eagerly look forward to that. They're looking forward to the blessing. Listen, you know what? I have crossed the, I have gone completely over the chasm. I, I'm no longer looking for God to have a, 10 more people here so I see less teal chairs. I'm looking at people that I want to come alive in Christ. Folks that decide I want to do something for, for Christ. I, I want to trust God. I want to wait on God. I want to be faithful to God. He says, you know, if you're going to do that, stop grumbling about each other. He's saying, listen, you know, be, being patient and waiting on the Lord doesn't mean you're sitting around eating bonbons and, you know, having prayer request time. You, you be patient waiting on the Lord, waiting for his goodness and waiting for you to surrender your life in such a way that he goes to work. But stop grumbling about each other. He's saying, if you want to enjoy the fruits of waiting on the Lord, don't spend your time on earth pointing a finger at everybody else. Deal with what the anything is between me and you. And then again, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Does that sound familiar? I stand at the door and knock. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. All you got to do is look at the Old Testament prophets. I look at Job or I look at Elijah. I mean, it's amazing. What, what happened? They waited on the Lord and the, and the power of God came through their life. I guess the question I've got for you is, are you willing to do that? Because he says next, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Let's pray. God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. I trust you in everything. And I believe there are people in this room today who have never trusted you, have never surrendered their life to you. They may have done church for 80 years, but they never trusted you. They, they, they may have taught Sunday school for 30 years, but they never trusted you. 
They've never completely surrendered. God, I believe there are folks who walked aisles as kids, but they, they have no idea how to live for you and, and, and to enjoy waiting on you and resting in you. And God, I pray today at whatever level we're at individually, we cry out to you, God, I want all of you. I want to surrender all of me and I, I want all of you. God, like the words in that Lauren Daigle song, God, would, would you just let us take courage, our heart, be steadfast in our soul as we wait on you to complete your work in us. But God, activate our faith to obey you more today. God, I pray all those things in the matchless and mighty and wondrous name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.